Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Entangling Vines, Case 28-2. Kido's verse to Senjo and her spirit. Kido Chigu composed a verse on Senjo and her spirit. In front of the cortege, peach branches and wheat brooms. Behind the hearse, paper money. We disciples of the old foreigner, why would we enter the realm of the dead? Welcome, still the first day, the last day, the one day of Rohatsu. First and last. Which one is the real one? Today, we are examining again, case 28 of this Shumon Katoshu, the collection of entangling vines. In the past, in the original, in the Chinese characters and the Japanese rendition of it, the Shumon Katoshu doesn't have numbers, really. And so when the first translation came out in English by Chuck Yuho, Tom Kirshner, an American who lives in Kyoto. Numbers were put to the cases. And briefly, after that first edition of the Shumon Kato Shu in English, a Japanese Roshi, Domae Jimyo Roshi, came out with a new edition in Japanese, having put together the various sources of the Shumon Katoshu. And he he renumbered the cases in a way that since case 28 is about the same, first it is the main case that we heard yesterday. And the next case related to it, instead of incrementing the number, we ended up with 28 
28-1 and 28-2. So a lot of the things that you heard in the story in the preceding Teisho are important for this to follow along and to further contemplate. It is actually a nice setup because this gives us more time between these talks, between being confronted with the expression of someone speaking here and being able to sit in between, no matter how little or how much, but just the right time for this to resonate. My ordination teacher, Joshu Roshi, used to give Teisho on four or five lines of a case throughout the entire week of a seven-day session. was a different approach than here going one case per talk. But this gives us somewhat this extended ability to return to Senjo and to what stands behind the story from the point of view, from the point of perception, from the meaning that we give it in this Zen tradition. So today, we meet Kido Chigu. Kido Chigu is the last Chinese ancestor of the modern Rinzai Zen lineage. All living Rinzai Zen teachers, masters, transmitted individuals are in this one lineage from Kido Chigu, Chan moved to Japan in the form of Rinzai Zen, and it was Nampo Jomyo. So what about Kido Chigu? He lived from 1185 until 1269. He appears in a total of 17 cases in these 200 plus cases of the Shumon Katoshu. Kido Chigo was a native of Siming in the present day Zhejiang. His family name was Chen and he entered a temple, a local temple at the age of 16. After going on an extended pilgrimage something that we see all the time, something that we ourselves do when we leave our parental home. So after such an extended pilgrimage, he arrived at a specific temple in Hangzhou where he joined the assembly under Unan Fugan Zenji. And he studied there for some time and became 
Unanfugang Successor. He continued, he visited a couple of masters after that and uh, had to take actually a tempor temporary retirement because of the political situation in which he found himself. But he was rehabilitated from that situation and the emperor appointed him to the head of the temple and the monastery where his teacher Unan Fugang had taught. So, as I said before, one of his students was Nampo Jomyo, the founder of the Japanese Rinzai lineage. Kido Chigu compiled a collection of 100 koans that is even nowadays used in the traditional Japanese training of a Rinzai Zen monk. And it is called the Kido Osho Goroku, the recorders sayings of priest Kido. Next February, so February 2021, Shambhala will publish a new translation of this Kido Goroku into English by Dosho Port, who is at the Nebraska Zen Center, translated newly from the Chinese under the title, The Record of the Empty Hall. It is not the first version of this Kido Goroku that we find. There was a 1977 edition under the title, Every End Exposed, translated by Jan Polsky. The interesting thing about this collection, which is almost like the Shumon Katoshu, is that Kido himself gives very, very brief comments. The koans are short, there is a brief comment. And then later, as the Kido Goroku was used in the Japanese tradition, up to the time of Hakuin, Hakuin also started to add comments to it. In the study of that traditional Hakuin lineage, there is the tradition to work on these koans with the reply by Kido or so. And part of it at some point is to express the koan in plain words. This points to the wonderful nature of Hakuin Ekaku, who reformed the Rinzai Zen and brought in again a level that even could connect to the people in the marketplace in his village, Hara. So this is Kido Chigu very important ancestor. He talks about that koan indirectly. Nothing in the actual verse that he offers to us points to the story. 
Senjo doesn't appear. Chokan, the father doesn't appear, neither does Ochu. Even Gosu Hoen, who asked the question, doesn't appear. So it is Kido's very clear expression of looking at the story and expressing his own view, vision, feeling, intuition about it, of it, in it. Yesterday I mentioned stories are important. Stories as something that manifests conditionality. A story follows, explains, it shows how something developed. One condition leading to the next condition, conditional unfolding in so many different ways. That's why we, we love to, to read stories, especially when there's a turn in it that we haven't anticipated. And it can be quite invigorating to be exposed to these stories. And ultimately, when they resonate with us, they are not stories, but they just are resonances of human, common human experience that is alive in us, that makes lasting stories very different from, let's say, stories that one is taught to believe in. Fixated stories, stories that we neurotically tell ourselves over and over again are not such stories. Not much life in there. Yes, maybe you could say past life, but not the life that meets us right here. And, well, society and culture in itself can turn into such a dead story. And we have to be very careful about that that we don't just participate and reenact something that is meant to be alive. So what is it with this poem? Where does Kido Chigo arrive? Not speaking about love between the two youngsters the separation of the two sejos, the two senjos, however you might pronounce it. No, it's much starker. What is he talking about? What kind of cortege is this? What kind of solemn procession are we looking at? peach branches and reed brooms in front and behind people burning paper money. But the central item is the hearse. <laughs> <laughs> 
Is this some kind of Chinese second line? Yeah. A funeral procession. And it is said that the peach branches and the reed brooms were used in front of that procession to shush away, to, sh to scare away the evil spirits, the demons, the devils, so that the hearse could pass. And behind the hearse, fake money was burned to bribe those demons that could not be swept away. And for some reason, this seems so contemporary. Trying to bribe. There are many kinds of deaths that we can die. Not only physically. And there are many stories exactly at this time that are coming to an end in which the main protagonists do not want to disappear or die. The danger of such a story is right in front of our eyes. No better example could be found. So how do we know that peach branches were used for that? What would a Japanese monk do to find that out? Well, there are dictionaries. There are Zen dictionaries with stories. And the one one would go to here was written by a monk of the name of Mujaku. And I looked up Mujaku Dochu, that was his name, who lived in the 17th century. He was born in the 17th century. He actually lived from 1653 until 1745. And he was what we would call a gakso, a scholarly priest. But not only a scholarly priest, his biography goes like this. He started as a trainee priest at the Nyoraiji temple in Izushi and then went to the capital Kyoto in 1660 at the age of eight to enter into priesthood. He became a disciple of a famous master, Jikuin Somon, at the Myoshinji Ryuge Temple. If you have ever been to Myoshinji, there is the temple district itself, which is fair, it's almost a square. And there are many temples within the tachus of Myoshinji. But there are also affiliated temples that are outside of the Garan, out of that precinct. And when uh, Shingeroshi, and Shukosan, Myogen, and Kai visited Reonin, which is one of those tachus 
within Mirsinji a couple of years ago, we also took a walking trip up, I think it's towards the north. And there are temples that are affiliated and considered part of Mirsinji. And Ryoanji was the famous Kare Sansui, was the famous rock garden, is one of them. But also this very temple that we meet here. So, Mujaku Dochu, Ryuge In. He succeeded his teacher and became the abbot. He was the second chief priest of this temple in 1677 at the age of 25. He had already joined a court function because the court was in Kyoto at the time and lectured on books about Zen Buddhism at age 25 while continuing his training. He did learn from masters in many places and read books outside of the Zen tradition, Chinese novels, Chinese texts, but also probably the story of Senjo. So, He started writing books, writing and writing commentaries. And one of them is a dictionary in which we can look up what brooms made of peach branches and reeds mean. Just to finish up his biography, in 1707, he became the chief priest of Myoshinji Temple, the Kancho, which is a very rare kind of honor that is bestowed on exceptional priests. He was 55. Then he retired. And at age of 62, he was reappointed the Kancho again. He continued writing. And in 1722, he was appointed for a third time as the Kancho of Myoshinji at the age of 69. Finally, in his 70s, he stepped down and retreated to Ryuge in where he died at the age of 92. Over 900 books were written by Mujaku Dochu including this encyclopedia, basically, of Zen and the stories behind. So Mujaku says, brooms made of peach branches and reeds precede funerals processions to symbolically sweep away misfortune. Special paper money was burned or strewn after the hearse as an offering to the deities of death in order to ensure a safe passage to a good afterlife for the deceased. The third and fourth line go like this. We disciples of the old foreigner, why would we enter the realm of the dead? The old foreigner is, of course, Shakyamuni, 
Mujaku comments that discussing the true and the false from the standpoint of Senjo and her spirit as separate forms will lead one straight into the realm of death. He says, if even secular people exercise the evil and inauspicious at the time of death, why should Buddha disciples who have thoroughly seen through the realm of samsara ever have to enter the unhappy land of the dead? Which Senjo is the true one? Which one is the false one? Why did Goso Hoan bring this into this tradition? By now, I'm pretty sure you have caught on by hearing what Mujaku had to say, but also by the image that we get presented by Kido Chigu. This is also about the dichotomy of birth and death. The great matter. Now in recent scholarship in a journal, a Japanese journal of Indian and uh, Chinese and Japanese Buddhism research, is a very interesting article that was written that looked very carefully at the interactions that Kido Chigu had. And one thing that is quite interesting about him is that there was a young monk from Japan, besides Nampo Jomyo, who had studied in China, who went back to Japan who wrote his own works there and who returned to China. And Kido Chigo read the works of this monk. And it had to do with the records of a temple of eternal peace, Eheji. So Kido Chigo read and enthusiastically approved of the writings of Dogen Zenji. Some of the Soto school teachers in China were also very close to Kiro Chigu. Birth and death. Which one is real? Which one is the true one? What does Dogen Zenji say in the Shobo Genzo about Shoji? Birth and death. Here are Dogen's words as translated into English. As a Buddha is in birth and death, there is no birth and death. It is also said, as a Buddha is not in birth and death, a Buddha is not deluded by birth and death. 
These statements are the essence of the words of the two Zen masters, Kasan Zenne and Josan Shinne. Never neglect them as they are the words of those who attained the way. Those who want to become free from birth and death should understand the meaning of these words. If you search for a Buddha outside of birth and death, it will be like trying to go to the southern city of Yurai with your spear heading towards the north, or like trying to see the Big Dipper while you are facing south. You will cause yourself to remain all the more in birth and death and miss the way of emancipation. Just understand that birth and death is itself nirvana. There is nothing such as birth and death to be avoided. There is nothing such as nirvana to be sought. Only when you realize this are you free from birth and death. It is a mistake to suppose that birth turns into death. Birth is a phase that is an entire period in itself with its own past and future. For this reason, in Buddha Dharma, birth is understood as beyond birth. Death is a phase that is an entire period in itself with its own past and future. For this reason, death is understood as beyond death. In birth is nothing but birth. And in death, there is nothing but death. Accordingly, when birth comes, face and actualize birth. And when death comes, face and actualize death. Do not avoid them or desire them. This birth and death is the life of a Buddha. If you try to exclude it, you will lose the life of a Buddha. If you cling to it, trying to remain in it, you will also lose the life of a Buddha. And what remains will be the mere form of a Buddha. Only when you don't avoid birth and death or long for it, do you enter a Buddha's mind. However, most importantly, do not analyze or speak about it. Just set aside your body and mind, forget about them, and throw them into the house of the Buddha. 
then all is done by the Buddha. When you follow this, you are free from birth and death and become a Buddha without effort or scheme. Who then remains in the mind? To me, reading this is a retelling of the story of Senjo. Which is true, which is false, which is awakening, which is delusion, right and left, plus and minus, all of these dichotomies, all of this flows from this investigation. The split, the split, which I talked about yesterday, where we find ourselves sitting on the cushion, but being somewhere completely different, either caught in an endless appearing loop of rumination, confined, or let loose onto a wild goose chase in some freshly created realms, but not like the two Senjos meeting. Well, split. I also mentioned that this world is a world of splits of the 10,000 things that are distinct. And even speaking and putting words out that say distinct but equal. Split. This pandemic that confines us, brings up these states of being split. Oh, I wish I could. I can't wait until I will be able again. And some people act on it. No, I will not wait. This is a hoax. And cause and effect, the story of the cosmos will unfold. We are being told, and it is eminently obvious with the number of infections rising daily 
with the number of people passing nearing 3,000 just in the United States, that this is a very serious affair. It's not normal. I said that yesterday. And norms are so dangerous because they're these stories that are set up as this is how it ought to be and this is acceptable. Here we sit feeling that amount of death because it has struck closer to home than before. And it is that closeness to home that woke us up for a little bit. But it's too much. I hear this all the time, it's too much. How can I pay any more attention to this? It is too painful, or it is too this, it is too that. Well, I will tell you what we'll consider next. So even using the world normal, this is the new normal, shows us the danger, the danger of fixating and the tendency to fixate and to put up measurements and call them normal. Have we grown callous? Even though it is so close? Maybe, but consider this at the same time. For the last 20 years, according to the United Nations, the daily death rate, daily death rate of human beings related to hunger and malnutrition on this earth is 25,000 people a day. Out of which 10,000 are children. What can we say? Here we sit, probably getting our groceries delivered, getting upset if it wasn't the right type of peanut butter that I put on the order, it's a different one.
and the COVID deaths and those, the starving malnutrition deaths pass us by completely. How can we address this by sitting on a cushion? Some of us might feel, no, I have to get up. I have to do something. And here comes Senjo. Will you split yourself? Well, right now we are here on this cushion. Do not split yourself. Put everything together into this. After all, there is one example we could follow. Siddhartha, why did he sit down? What made him sit down? old age, sickness, and death. This Rohatsu session allows us to look at the same questions. Of old age, sickness, and death. It allows us to look into the question, what kind of callous is that? That tens of thousands of human beings dying every day, suffering, pass by. This is the type of motivation and dis-ease unease of feelings that brought the Buddha forth out of a seeking, deeply looking human being called Siddhartha Gautama. Yeah, it's so much nicer to speak about awakening and freedom liberation but the buddha did not sit down to liberate himself to taste freedom but to bore himself deeply into these questions what is this that causes all of this suffering, of this sickness, death, decay. I would like to close up today's Teisho with the first case of the Kido Goroku, 
Kido Chigu's records. And my heading to it is split or no split. So here's case one. One day, the Buddha saw Monju Bosatsu, the Bodhisattva of wisdom, standing outside the gate. The Buddha said, Monju, Monju, why don't you come in? Monju answered, There is no way outside the gate. Why do you ask me to come in through the gate? Kido's comment. You have taught me much. Hakuin's comment. Every end is exposed. Every thing is real. What does this case tell us in this context of life and death, of the split? When you sit in Zazen, which breath is the real breath? Inhalation or exhalation? How do you answer this question? Which is the true self of the no self? The true self realized or the true self actualized? What is meant by entering the gate when the Buddha says to Manju, Manju, come. The phrase of entering the gate, what home leavers do is entering the order of the disciples of the Buddha. So in fact, what the Buddha said to Manju, to the perfect wisdom, come on, come on in and practice with us this way, this way of the Buddha, this Buddhism.
But Monju, being outside of that gate, and the gate only makes sense if it leads into something that is confined or that we step into, out of, into. Monju answered, Don't you know? There is no way outside of the gate. The split or not split that we have to consider is that awakening is ours to realize as a birthright, each of us not relying on anybody else's experience, words, or deeds. It can only be awakened through yourself. Yet, on the other hand, after that realization, after the awakening, the actualization cannot be anywhere else than in relationship with the 10,000 things with the 10,000 children who starve every day. It seems contradictory, but it is not. In the same way that only you can awaken where no other has a place. The actualization of that awakening, even though there are 10,000 things, also knows no other. Let us use these uncomfortable feelings of old age, of sickness and death to inquire deeply, walking this path of Siddhartha that started, ended, and is outside of any gates. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Thank you for listening.